0: what I know. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. This I know. How? The Bible tells me so. Whether you believe it or not. It is Friday, the 19th of November. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, Jesus loves you. And yes, Jesus loves them. And so must I and so must you. There you go. Friday, the 19th of November, loving you this morning with the love of Christ, seeking to extend his love to others always and in all ways. That's what we're up to this morning. Um, All right, we got um, Adam Holtz up first today, but before we jump into our conversation with him about what is going on in the world of the media, um, I want to just brief you in quickly on something that took place uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday. The House voted— Uh, largely along party lines, to censure uh, one of the representatives from Arizona. His name's Paul Gosar. And he tweeted an animated—this is all over a tweet, by the way. He tweeted an animated video that was edited to feature a person who looked like him killing another animated person who was uh, made to look like Representative uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the character assassination took place with a sword. Um, Democrats say that the tweet, which, by the way, uh, Gosar um, not only deleted, but then was very remorseful, had ever been posted. Um, Democrats say that the tweet um, is, you know, not only inappropriate, but dangerous. And they were talking about, like, physical danger on the floor yesterday. Republicans were pointing out that there were a lot of really important things that the House should be talking about and debating And at the end of all of it, a censure took place. Now, there's only there have only been 24 times in the history of the House of Representatives, which is a long history, by the way, um, where a member has been formally censured in the way that Representative Gosar is now being censored. First of all, there's this um, public shaming on the floor where they have to stand at the center of the House floor and a condemning statement is read. Um, But then the second part is more practical in terms of its punishment. They are removed from all their committee assignments. And so it's only happened uh, uh, two dozen times because everybody understands that this is a super-duper slippery slope and that when the majority flips in the House, your members could be uh, censured and removed from all of their committee assignments. And let's just say if you remove one uh, member of the opposing uh, opposing party from all of their committee assignments guess who is immediately in dominant control of that committee? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The party in control. So um, here's, uh, here are a few talking points today on the topic of the censure of Representative Gosar, which, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't support what he tweeted in no way, shape, or form. And you do reap what you sow. And so let's uh, talk about what we're going to sow today uh, via our social media. Does this post, does this comment sow division or does it sow peace? You and I are meant to sow peace. And so if we're going to be peacemakers, let's be people who sow peace. Um, and with leadership and with this kind of platform comes a lot of social responsibility. And so, you know, what is your social media plan? Do you tweet responsibly? And if you're unsure about whether or not to post something or repost something or like something or comment on something um, on social media, if you're unsure, then pause, stop and measure your message, like measure your message, put the plumb line up and measure your message by the minimum standard of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then apply what I like to refer to, well, it is called the rotary four-way test and I learned it when I was in rotary, but it's a really good test for social media. Here it is, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? And if at any point what you are thinking about posting on social media or, frankly, saying out loud to another person fails any of those tests, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? If it fails on any points of that test, then don't say it, don't tweet it, don't forward it, don't like it, don't pass it on to others. All right. There you go. It's, it's more than just what would Jesus do. It's, it's how would Jesus like, feel about this? Um, apply that. Apply the mind of Christ to it um, that way, not just at the level of intellectual rightness or wrongness, but at the, at the feelings level as well. All right. Adam Holtz is waiting in the wings. He and I are going to talk about Ghostbusters, King Richard, and Encanto. I don't know, probably a bunch of other things as well. Disney now into sports betting. Oh, yeah, that seems important. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we got Adam Holtz back from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and I will definitely run out of time to cover all of the reviews posted at PluggedIn.com, so you got to check them out for yourself. Adam, welcome back. Let's lead off with Ghostbusters Afterlife.
2: Ghostbusters Afterlife is a sequel to, of course, Ghostbusters. This one features a single mom named Callie. She is moving from New York to rural Oklahoma uh, with her son and daughter, Trevor and Phoebe, who are not excited about going to Oklahoma. They have inherited their grandfather, her her father's uh, dilapidated, strange, perhaps haunted house uh, in a small town in Oklahoma. Uh, And they get there, and uh, Phoebe, who is kind of a scientific whiz and kind of an outcast because she's so smart, makes friends with another sort of social outcast, and his nickname is Podcast because he has a paranormal and unsolved mysteries kind of podcast, and he is excited that they have moved into this house because there have been rumors about the house around town for years, and this will give them a chance to... uh, to dig into that a little bit. Well, the digging commences. They find a very, very strange hearse with a spray painted ghost on it and other weird things start to happen. And of course, you know what happens then ghosts are released. Chaos ensues. The fate of the world hangs in the balance and uh, various ghostbusters of, uh, some related to a previous movie, some in this movie, uh, have to bust the ghosts. So, um, This was actually a sweeter movie than we anticipated. There are some nice messages about family, about forgiveness, uh, just about our relationships with those we're closest to. But you got all sorts of whack spiritual stuff. Obviously, we have possessions. We have demons. We have goddesses. Um, That will likely be a a full stop for a lot of folks. Um, (laughs) But also
0: great fodder for conversation.
2: Yeah, no, that's the thing, right? You could have a terrific conversation about the reality of the spiritual world and what does scripture say about it? What does scripture say about our relationship to it? Because scripture is very clear that there is a spiritual battle going on. Uh, and it's also very clear about ways that we're not supposed to try to um, initiate contact with the spirit realm. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, so let's talk about <laughs> King Richard. I actually heard Will Smith interviewed. Um, On the radio, on the topic of this movie and um, as well as his new memoir, tell us what's happening in King Richard, um, because this is a this is a really good, I think, good story.
2: It is a good story, and if you're not familiar with it, and the title actually doesn't tell you very much, it sounds more like Shakespeare, uh, and maybe I think intentionally so, this is the story of Venus and Serena Williams, and specifically it's told from the perspective and, and the the narrative uh, focal point, I guess you would say, of their father, Richard Williams, Um, I didn't know this. They grew up in Compton, which is obviously an inner city community near Los Angeles. It's known, uh, it's infamous, you might say, for its violence and for gang activity. And uh, Richard was determined to raise not only Venus and Serena, but his other children in a way that helped them uh, escape all of the various, uh, you know, pathologies of Compton. Uh, And so he and his wife, set out to training Venus and Serena who obviously have athletic talent to be tennis players. And he is absolutely, you know, we heard a few years ago about there was a, I guess, a stereotype of Asian mothers being tiger moms. He's kind of a tiger dad, right? He pushes his daughters very, very hard. Uh, He has extraordinarily high expectations of them, not only in sports, but in academics as well. Uh, at times he's overbearing, at times he is controlling to a fault, but I think on balance we see the incredible influence that an intentional parent can exhibit. And and obviously um, he had great, if I can say this, raw material to work with in his daughters. Obviously they're incredibly athletically talented, but we see what he was able to do. And and also, this is a story about racism, right? Tennis is a predominantly white sport. And we see, you know, the Williams family sort of knocking at the door for entry in mostly white places and mostly privileged places where they're not welcome at all. So, uh yeah, I mean I think it's a fascinating story for our time. And I think it's one of Will Smith's better roles. He really disappears into this role. He's not just, you know sometimes Will Smith plays variations of himself. Uh Aladdin doesn't seem like it was very far from Will Smith, but uh this is a terrific terrific movie. Uh it's PG thirteen, it's gritty, it's got quite a bit of, of PG thirteen level content in terms of innuendo, profanity, threats of violence. Uh, but it's not gratuitous. Like, I never feel like we're being assaulted by it. It, it really is a, a a pretty honest depiction of what it must have been like to grow up in that place.
0: All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz in just a moment. Um, I don't know. Let's talk about Disney and getting into sports betting. That seems like something that... Um, People might be interested in because that doesn't seem like a Disney kind of thing to be doing. All right, that's up next. It's Your mornings with Carmen. I'm just nobody, to tell all, all right, continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged in. Um, Adam, let's jump to the conversation about Disney. Um, Disney does not seem like a sports betting company, and yet, yeah, what's going on here?
2: Well, in May of 2018 there was an important ruling that sort of blew the doors wide open for online betting and advertising about betting and if you've watched football especially or actually any professional sports recently you may have noticed the absolute deluge of invitations to participate in online betting. I mean, it's like every other commercial there's it feels like there's an online betting commercial. That that's pizza? relatively new. That's it.
0: There's there's only two ads: pizza right. and online betting. That's it.
2: Well, and and beer, and so and all three of those things likely could go together. I think, but that's another conversation for another time. So uh, Disney owns. Well, sometimes it feels like Disney owns everything, but Disney owns ESPN, which obviously is the premier cable and online sports network and ESPN is beginning to stick its toe in the water of creating an ESPN branded betting service for people. Now, you could just say, okay, so what? Um, but I think that we actually need to stop here because um it wasn't that long ago that betting was sort of culturally taboo, right? Like you yeah. could go to you could go to Las Vegas you could go to Atlantic City and that was about it when i was growing up in the early 80s i remember when the lottery started and there were people in my conservative circles that would say man this is terrible we're encouraging people to bet and obviously scripture doesn't have good things to say about betting and then we began to see betting on you know native american reservations across the country right i remember in Iowa when those came in and we had riverboat gambling. And, and so I think like with issues similar to marijuana, things that were really taboo 40 years ago, now they're everywhere and, and just nobody gives it a second thought. But um, if you have ever walked into a casino, there are a few places more spiritually oppressive than just seeing what addiction looks like in action. And the problem with online betting is Anybody can do it from anywhere. So I think you you multiply the ability to have people fall into a damaging and destructive um, you know, habit, and you're telling kids that this is normal. And I think kids have access to it. And even if you try to verify age, kids know how to get around that stuff. And so I, I think there are so many layers to this story as we see gambling continue to be mainstream, and not only mainstream, but really promoted and celebrities getting on board. And and all of that suggests that gambling is normal, right? Uh, As opposed to gambling is a system that enslaves people and often ends up deeply damaging families and individuals.
0: Yeah, I remember um, a headline. uh, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly when it it was, but there was a a bus um, and or a van um, it, and it was, uh, you know, it was a church group, and I just remember, you know, that part of that was they were returning from a casino trip, and I was, yeah. thinking, I was thinking to myself, okay, the whole situation is so tragic, and the death of these individuals is so tragic, but what is the group of of elderly people, you know, from the, the from the Baptist church in some tiny little town? What are they doing on a casino trip anyway? Like, what right. is going on here? Um, and right. so I, I I find that Adam my best um, my best place to enter into this kind of conversation is to say things like when somebody says well you know it in a casual uh, flippant um, throw off comment like you know want to bet you know I then stop and say you know what I do not want to bet I don't want the yeah. bet I don't want to bet on this and I certainly don't want us to just casually throw that kind of language around. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that there are points back into this conversation for Christians, but I have to acknowledge and admit to you, there's just a lot of Christians who do not think there's anything morally wrong with, with gambling of any kind. I mean, the lottery yeah. uh, would be way down the list of concerns for most Christians.
2: Right, No, that's exactly right. And, and it really is an issue of stewardship you know, you're placing a bet on something that you're not likely to win statistically, right? I once heard somebody say that, uh, you know, the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. And <laughs> it, it's mm-hmm. funny, but that sticks in my it's head. It's so right? true. It's true. Um, it's taking
0: it, advantage of ignorance. There's no question about
2: and, it. And even if you don't have a habit of it, you know, I even if you drive through Las Vegas and you stop and play two rounds of of blackjack and you drive on to Los Angeles and never give it a second thought, it's still participating in a system that does enslave people. And, and, and so I think we have to think not only about your individual freedom or not as a Christian, and you have to think about well, what, what am I participating in systematically here? And, and again, for kids, With the online thing, the ability to get into big trouble really fast uh, is just, you know, it's like spraying an accelerant on it, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you actually drive somewhere and are putting quarters in a slot machine, that's a physical act that requires something of you, but virtually everybody has a smartphone. So to sort of blow out access to this through technology, it, it amplifies the potential for damage exponentially especially for kids
0: yeah and they're using your credit cards to do it just you know just yeah be
2: exactly well there's that yeah. too right i mean that's the slavery part
0: that's right um all right adam um as always thank you so much you guys can check out tons of great resources at focus in dot com that's a great place to find adam holt um hey there is a uh there's a movie um coming out on tuesday in canto want to give yes. us a thumbs up or a thumbs down before we go
2: uh, a lot of magic, but terrific family themes. One of my favorite movies this year.
0: Oh, all so. right. That sounds like a thumbs up. All right.
2: Yeah. And Inca- Encanto
0: exactly. opens on the 23rd, which is before the time that we get to talk with Adam again. So, Adam, we'll check in with you again after Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, man, to you and your family.
2: Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Carmen.
0: We'll look forward to the leftovers. All right. That's yes, Adam Holmes. Well. You can find him at pluggedin.com. We'll be right back. Well, amen. That's a that's a very positive thing to be honoring Baronel Stutzman today, and Jack Phillips, and others who have been targeted for their faith and their uh, attempts at faithfulness. Um, that's that's just excellent. All right, John Tyson joins me next. Among other things, he's the author of the Intentional Father. We're going to talk about the Primal Path. We're going to talk about raising boys into real men in the culture today. And yep, we're giving away copies of the book. You can text the word book to eight seven seven We'll be right back.
1: He will judge everyone according to what they have done. This is Max Locato. For some of you, this is a word of caution. Don't think for a moment that God turns a blind eye to acts of rebellion and deeds of malice. Dismiss God in this life, and he will dismiss you in the next. For others, this can be a word of comfort. Do evildoers get a free pass? The Bible's answer is a resounding no. God has set a day when he will judge the world. God's righteous indignation is on high boil. And his call to you and me is straightforward. Get involved. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. When we cry out, God, do something, he says, I did. I created you. This is Max Locato.
0: Well, joining us today, I'm excited to have John Tyson with us. He is a widely respected pastor and leader in New York City. He's the author of several books. Uh, most importantly, though, today he's here because he's a dad. Um, and he is a dad who is intentional uh, about fatherhood. So the book is The Intentional Father, and the website is primalpath.co. John Tyson, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Absolutely, so um, talk about being a dad to a boy and um, why that matters a lot today.
3: Well, yeah, so I I have a son who is now 21. Uh, I wrote the book about the experience of raising him from uh, adolescence all the way through into manhood. And it felt like there just was a, a crisis around the issue of fatherhood in our world today statistically, we realize that folks who grow up with involved and present fathers have a tremendous advantage in the world. And when it came to my own son, I wanted to be able to give him the best that I had. I was also dealing with my own sort of generational brokenness and inadequacies. So I said, you know what, I'll do some research on the best uh, ways that men have been raised in history, what it's like to be the kind of father this generation needs, and then have a go at it. So it went really well. And I uh, had a lot of folks reach out and say, Hey, I'd, I'd love to do something like that with my son. So it's a personal and cultural sort of need of the hour.
0: It's intensely practical. Um, it is your own lived experience. Um, and you had to create it out of necessity. Um, talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, well, I basically realized that, you know, almost every other society in history had a pathway. To bring young men from adolescence into adulthood in a healthy manner. And when I looked around at how the world does it today, that path is gone. The typical young person often learns about um, you know, money and sexuality and relationships and education primarily from Google rather from, than from their fathers. And there doesn't seem to be those rites of passage, initiation, formation, challenges that other generations used to have. And so I, I went back into history and then went back through sort of like the men's psychology and development scene and basically recovered what other generations knew, but we seem to have lost. And the fruit of it has honestly been really dramatic. I mean, over a thousand men um, have taken their sons through the stuff that I've uh, sort of developed right now, and the stories I get are just remarkable. So, yeah, I believe we need to reclaim an intentional pathway to help people navigate the confusing adolescence years. So that's that's what I worked in. That's basically what the book is about: how to do that on a practical level.
0: The book is "The Intentional Father: A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character." If you're interested in uh, the copies that we have to give away today text the word book to 877-933-2484 this is about preparing our boys um for a life of future impact um that they would be that they would be the kind of men who are going to lead their families and their communities and their churches well in the future um and there's a there's a disconnect, John, that you are addressing um, not only in the individual lives of boys who don't have a dad who is being intentional about this, but the gap that those dads have because they weren't guided in this way either. So there's a, you are coming alongside dads who did not experience this kind of uh, path with their own father. And so there is this opportunity, I think, to like Break a generational cycle here and um, and get us moving positively down a better path
3: yeah, I definitely agree if If you actually go back, most societies had a six step process of forming young men in particular. The first thing they did was they would separate them from uh, their childhood environments so that they consciously knew they were moving into a new season, then they had some sort of event that was like a a psychological ending of the childhood space, sort of an initiation. Then they were given three great tasks of development. One was understanding the history of their community. Two was understanding the religion of their people, who their, their God was. And thirdly, the roles that were needed to participate in a healthy manner as a contributing member of that community. When that process had been done, they would send them out onto what they called the ordeal, and this is where uh, young men had to test themselves to see that the things they had actually learned and heard about could be put into practice on their own so that they would have confidence in adulthood. If they pass that test, which sometimes were dramatic, uh, they were recognized by the community of men, and then they were welcomed back into society to serve, to protect, to love, and to give themselves for the good of the community. And so when a lot of dads haven't been through that process, they can feel overwhelmed, but you've really hit the nail on the head. The great gift I have found in dads trying to be intentional and move through their own brokenness is they get to fill in the gaps of their own formation. As they're raising their son, they're going to realize we need development ourselves. And so this is one of those rare chances to be able to go back into those places in your life where there's either brokenness or you feel inadequate and to begin to work these things out so you too can bring your son through that pathway. So it has had a tremendous healing impact on many dads and and brought them wholeness and confidence uh, in adulthood.
0: So we're talking with John Tyson. We're talking about his latest book, The Intentional Father. Uh, We're also talking about The Primal Path, which is um, this practical course that John is offering to help, uh, you know, dads who are overwhelmed but determined to create a really intentional process for walking their sons from adolescence into manhood. Uh, We are giving away some copies today from our friends over at Baker. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for those books Text the word book to 877 2484 You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm safe in my safe in my
0: All right, picking up now where we left off with a pastor and dad, John Tyson. We're talking about his latest book the intentional father, we're also talking about the larger project, the Primal Path. Um, John, invite people uh, to check out what's going on at Primal Path and describe a little bit to us um, what you're doing there.
3: Well, what I wanted to do, I, I felt like so many dads uh, that I met basically faced two things. They were determined to give their son something better than they had, and um, they wanted to. to build a multi-generational impact. They wanted to heal generational wounds. They wanted to unleash uh, blessing instead of brokenness, but they they didn't quite know how to do that. So I I saw a lot of dads who were determined to get it right, but they also felt overwhelmed. How on earth would you do that? How are you going to walk your son through the valley of the shadow of the teenage years? And so basically what I tried to do was design a course for dads to be able to address this The first part of it starts with helping them make sense of their own story, make sense of their own father wounds, uh, and also many of the blessings and lessons that they have learned so that they can have sort of their own personal curriculum, uh, vision, values, story, those sorts of things to give to their son. Then the second thing uh, I talk about is how to initiate your son into this journey. You know, the teenage years can be very, very confusing. We have all of these new energies uh, the way we view our relationships, the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, And so I wanted to help give a guideline and put some guardrails in to initiate young men and how to use those energies in a healthy way. And then it's the process of actually growing up, moving from being a boy into being a man, a, a, a embracing adult skills, uh, adult values, putting away childish things, then how to bless them and send them out into the world with a sense of recognition of who they've become and a deep sense of blessing. And I found this to be particularly powerful because if a, man, if, if a man isn't blessed by his father, he will often spend the rest of his life trying to earn that blessing or prove that blessing. And so that's the final part, a blessing ceremony to welcome him into the community of men. So it's a practical course on how to work those things out and then take your own son through the stuff that you have learned.
0: All right, John, I'm going to ask the question that some people are wondering and thinking right now, um, because the word primal is uh, is a strong word, um, and the way that you have described this process um, of segregating out, you know, like, right, boys and acknowledging that they have particular needs and particular calling, roles, and responsibility in families and in culture, um, immediately, like, I can feel the critical wave pressing against this conversation um, that wants there to be no distinction between uh, girls and boys or men and women and no distinction in roles or responsibilities. And so I'm just wondering how you how you answer that.
3: Well, you know, I'm a pastor, so my initial answer is theological. Um, But I want to just put a little caveat in there. Um, One of the things I'm trying to address, I have no interest in perpetuating gender stereotypes or um, creating men who, you know, move through the world with some sense of being an alpha male. I'm not doing that at all. You know, our culture is asking the question, what's gone wrong with men? Why are men so broken? The Me Too movement talks about toxic masculinity, men struggling in college. I don't know if you've seen the recent research, but men are having a crisis in the educational space. And I'm basically wanting to do something about it. So the world's complaining, saying, what's wrong with men? And I've tried to do a ton of both sociological, theological, and historical research to sort of say, here's what's missing. Um, I also do think that research shows that there are differences uh, between men and women, um, and we, and it's true, as human beings, as image bearers, we have more in common than we do have different. That is that is obvious. But there are some distinctives, and you know, researchers at Harvard have, have pointed out in many ways the difference between men and women in terms of like agreeability, uh, competition, those sorts of things. So I want to I want to address those differences in a way that actually channels them towards something that is healthy and redemptive. It's been my experience that, you know, male formation happens best in environments of safety and trust with other men. And almost all societies have had places where this uh, happens, where older men reach down and mentor and build up and guide and correct younger men. And again, we're one of the only societies in history that doesn't have that in a formalized way. So yeah, I'm obviously uh, a believer in, you know, the power of women. I am... uh, you know, very, very uh, pro women, uh, leading, serving, all those sorts of things. But I'm wanting to address this one particular issue. I also called it the primal path, which is a strong word, uh, because I was trying to motivate a 13 year old boy. So mm-hmm. it was designed to get the attention of of very, very you know middle school boys. It's not it's not a vision for adults as much as it is. If I'd called it like the wonderful, healthy, emotional mm-hmm. pathway. What 13-year-old is going to want to do that? So a little bit of that was sort of um, advertising uh, to the age demographic. But again, I'm just trying to address the question everybody's asking, but nobody seems to come up with answers for. And ultimately, I would say the goal is to make men who are like Jesus, one who could weep and one who could turn over tables one who could have intimacy with God and could and could handle rejection from the crowds when everybody turned on him, one who could love his enemies on the cross and still care for his mother at the same time. So ultimately, my vision is helping young men become like Jesus.
0: Um, tell the story uh, about when your son found out that you created this for him.
3: Yeah, that was actually one of the most so, so to be quick, basically what it was, an overview, was that I would have like a devotional time with my son in the mornings before school. I'd do a weekly night called man school, which was just helping him develop the skills, character, and competencies he needed to thrive in adulthood. We would have these challenges whenever he sort of moved to the next unit of development and then ultimately ended with him doing a gap year and then the two of us hiking across Spain together on a 500-mile pilgrimage But one morning, I'm sitting there with my son and um, he says to me, Dad, who who took you through all of this content and this pathway? And I said, well, no one did. He said, well, where did it come from? And I said to him, well, man, I, I made this up for you. And he said, you made this up for me? And I said, yeah. I said, I did this because I love you. You're my son and I want you to move into the world with blessing and confidence and skill and character and behind me there was a board where i'd mapped out a six year journey piece by piece and he sort of looked at it looked up at it and he got teary and he said to me dad i feel really really loved and I thought, man, that's ultimately it. That's what I want sons to know, that they are loved by their fathers, that fathers are giving them the very best they have and breaking off the curses and dysfunction that they've received so that their sons can go further and do more than they sort of hoped or dreamed. So that's the big picture vision. And that was definitely one of the most beautiful moments of our whole journey.
0: Um, as, we, uh, as we conclude our time together, John, I want you to invite um, men who may not be the biological dad of the son who they know God is leading them to walk through this with. Um, Talk to all men about a responsibility toward toward young men today.
3: Yeah, I I absolutely want to affirm, you know, like stepdads, mentors— uh, maybe even coaches these these are just men who who play father figure roles in the lives of younger men. Mm. This is the need of the hour, and I think young people today are literally killing themselves, trying to self initiate and navigate their way into adulthood and There is nothing like the power and legacy of taking a young person saying, look, I want to give you what I've learned and I want to help you reach your redemptive potential. So let me walk alongside you to help you navigate these complex years in a way that helps you become who you're meant to be. That is the need of the hour. We're at a crucial moment demographically uh, in this nation and we're either going to continue down a path of brokenness or we're going to move towards you know be- beauty and restoration. And I think that the more men who play this role, receive this responsibility, the more healing and uh, health we're going to see, not just in families and individuals, but in society as a whole.
0: The book is The Intentional Father, a practical guide to raise sons of courage and character. We have a handful of copies to give away today. If you're interested in entering the drawing, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can also check it out online. Just Google Primal Path. Uh, You'll find all the information there as well. John Tyson, thank you so much for who you are, what you're doing, and uh, the gift of the book, the gift of the path, the gift of the conversation today. Thank you so much. No
3: worries. What a joy to be with you. Thank you.
0: Likewise. We'll be right back. All right, in terms of... uh today and what you can expect to be the breaking headlines going forward the House of Representatives has reconvened they are expected to vote soon who knows what the word soon means on the spending bill which is like I don't know 4.6 trillion dollars it's just crazy money all right that's happening um here we go when we think about the uh, let's see it's Friday I supposed to do a farm report Very quickly on the farm report. My husband is going to be hunting this weekend. I'm going to be helping one of our kids and their families move. I'm also going to be preparing for Advent and the Thanksgiving lunch at my son's school, which is early next week. And I, because I'm not making Thanksgiving at our house, because we're going to have Thanksgiving with my mom, um, I am not planning on making a turkey and, you know, like ham here at home. So I'm doing it for uh, Matthew's class, so that'll be fun. Uh, I still get to make a turkey, my house still gets to smell like all of that, even though um, it's a turkey that I'm gonna share with somebody else. So uh, what's going on in terms of your own heart and home? How are you tending to the things of the faith today? How are you planning to return thanks to God? Return to God to give thanks for every good and perfect gift that he has poured into your life? Um, There's no question that God is pouring out blessings every moment. There is a question about whether or not we are, in receiving them, returning thanks to Him. God is good. Let us thank Him, not only for our food, but literally everything else. I am thankful for you today. Um, Let's walk out into the world that God so loves as people who are filled with thanks, with hearts of gratitude, expressing that uh, in the world around us. Have a great weekend.